welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. It's time for the Spirit of God. It's time for the Holy Spirit to come and do what He can do. Listen, the early church didn't have a Bible. They had the Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing how we're trying to catch up to what they started with. And we have a Bible, but they had the Spirit. So what I want is the Spirit. The Bible comes to, to confirm what the Spirit is saying and what the Spirit is doing. Amen? But He is in charge. Now where the Lord is, or where the Spirit is, the Lord is, and there is liberty. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to now come and just continue to work on the hearts of each and every one of us in this room. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your anointing here. Continue to rain down on each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. And we speak in this atmosphere of breakthrough. Come on, let's say it. Say breakthrough breakthrough in my family breakthrough in my marriage breakthrough in my mind breakthrough in my money in Jesus name amen hallelujah so right now I'm not going to preach long I just want to confirm what Ryan said the Lord wants you to know that he he does not want you to see yourself as a thermometer but as a thermostat you are not a thermometer. You are a, you are a thermostat. A thermostat has more authority than a thermometer. What's the difference? A thermometer, simply, you put it in a room, and all it, what does it do? All it does is tell you what the temperature is. A thermometer simply feels what's going on around it and measures it, analyzes it. That's what religious people do. All religious people can do is step into an atmosphere, step into an environment and just tell you what's going on. They have no authority to change it. But a, therm but a, but a, a thermostat, they set the temperature. The thermostat controls the atmosphere. The thermostat alters the environment. If I want it to get hotter, I turn the heat up. If I want it to get colder, I turn the temperature down. And many of you have just been living like thermometers. People are depressed around you, you get depressed. People are angry around you, you get angry. People are frustrated around you, you get frustrated. You just settle in or you buy into everything else around you. All you're doing is reading what's going on and picking up what is. But God is saying, no, I'm calling you to be a thermostat. That in any environment, you set the temperature, you set the tone. Amen? You don't start cursing because everybody else is cursing around you. Because you know who you are, you know what you carry. I say, I am a king. I am an ambassador. I am a priest. 
of the Most High God. That's what you do. Say, I'm a, ther I'm a, I'm a thermostat. <laughs> Are you getting this? It's simple but profound. That's what it means to have authority. That's what it means to have dominion. I don't let anything go on around me that I don't want to embrace. I have the ability to get up and leave if I don't like it, or I have the ability to change it. You got to learn how to set, the, thermom set the, um, the thermostat of your heart for victory. You have to learn how to set the thermostat of your heart for success. You have to learn how to set the, the thermostat of your heart to increase. You see, your life, listen, the one thing about a thermostat is this. When, although, when you open up the door in your house and the thermostat is set to a certain temperature, if you open up the door and it's cold outside, what is the thermostat going to immediately start doing? It starts adjusting. It starts to adjust. And when it starts, let's say you set the, the thermostat to 75 degrees. It might go up seven, to 76. It might go up to 77. But it'll make sure that the, the boiler system or the heating system is going to shut off so that it can go right back to that temperature. Now, here's the deal. Because you are a thermostat and not a thermometer, many of you, because you haven't known that you, can, you have the ability to do that, you have not allowed your life to be set at a temperature you want it to be. Imagine having a, a thermostat in your house and you're cold, but you didn't know you can turn the knob up so that you can get it warmer. So you're sitting in your house cold while all along you had the power and the ability to change the heat. This is what your heart does every day for you. Whatever you set, whatever temperature you set your heart to is what your life is going to rise to. That's what your beliefs do. You see, if I don't believe, see, everybody can believe in you, but if you don't believe in you, it doesn't matter. A million people can believe that you can succeed, but if you don't believe you can succeed, you won't. Right, because you set the thermometer of your life. The thermostat of your life. No one else, well, let's say, someone else can set the temperature of your life for you if you don't learn how to control your own thermostat. And this is what God is doing right now in this season. I really believe that what's happening in our house, and what I'm sensing, sensing in the spirit, is that many of you are on the cusp, on the verge of another breakthrough, but you're, I don't know if you're waiting for someone else to give you permission to do it, but I want you to know that, no, God says, I already put the, the thermostat in you. You don't need permission. You got to turn it up a notch. See, what's what happened with Adrian, right? See, since sometimes what God does is like, he, he just likes to just push us into some deep waters or push us into some situations so we can discover what we got. You know? Um, my father always says this. He says, a Christian, a Christian is like a tea bag. The real stuff comes out in hot water. 
Right? You don't really know what, what's, what, what you got. You don't, know how, you don't know the flavor. You don't know how it tastes until you put in some hot water. That's who you are, church. That's why God said God, God got to allow some persecution to come to the church every now and then because it's in the per times of persecution. We see the church grow and increase in numbers. We operate at our best when we're under pressure. Yeah? So sometimes God got to step into our room and turn the, thermo <laughs> the thermostat up for us. <laughs> Let me show you something real quick. Um, I want you to look at me in the Old Testament. Now, we don't go to the Old Testament a lot, right? When I preach, at least. But 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to microwave this message. So I don't take too long. <laughs> See, I'm a thermometer, so I'm gonna turn it up real quick. I mean, a thermostat. I keep picking. All right. First Samuel 17. Now David was a thermostat in Israel. King David. Before David became king, we know many of us, all, or most of us, all know David. Before he became king. Uh, he was a shepherd for his dad. He took care of his dad's sheep. We also understand David was not aspiring to be a king. David was not looking to become the next king. He was just a shepherd boy that everybody slept on. But what we see in 1 Samuel 17, watch this. Um, I'm not going to read the whole story, but this is the story where um, infamous David and Goliath story, where the um, where Goliath, the champion um, uh, uh, arm, the champion um, soldier of of, Philist of Philistine, was uh, taunting Israel and taunting their God. And David just so happened to hear about what was happening, and we see uh, David's coming out party, so to speak, or his breakout story in this moment. But I want to just uh, jump really quick to highlight one major point about this story. Uh, when we look at verse 25, let's look at verse 24. Uh, matter of fact, 22, and I'm going to read from the NIV. The Bible says, and David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. Now, I want you to see something, right? David ran to the battle. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. See, I don't want no punk Christians around me. Now, these were Israel's army. This was their soldiers. And here it is, the, the person they're going to fight starts talking, and they start running. Verse 25, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. 
He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, I want you to hear how they, what they were speaking about to themselves. He comes to defy Israel. And the king said, we'll get wealth and we'll have women if we can take him down. But this was not motivational enough for them to lay their life down for. It sounds great, but I'm still not willing to die. I'm not putting my life on the line for that. And that's where Saul messed up because he was trying to, 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 to inspire the people of God with material things, with stuff, with money and status. But now David comes along and here's what's going on. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace <laughs> from Israel? Yeah, you're getting there. Who is, this who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do I have any Davids in the house? See, this was, this was, this was like cuss words back then. You uncircumcised Philistine. He was cursing him out. <laughs> Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him that this is what will be done for the man who gets to kill him. Now, this is what I want to show you right here. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him saying, speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. And how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. The next verse, David says, now what have I done? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Now, here's the thing I just want to show you guys in this in this. The Bible says um, David's oldest brothers, his oldest brother, Eliab, heard when David came, he got angry at David and said, David, I know why you're here, because you're conceited. You're cocky. You're prideful. Now, why, why, why would Eliab, David's brother, arrive to that conclusion about him? Because what did David demonstrate by showing up and asking questions? What did David, what was David displaying that his brother looked at and, 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 um, and defined it as being prideful? He saw his confidence. He saw his confidence. And how many of you know that, that confidence looks like pride or arrogance to the insecure? Eliab was trying to put David down because he was scared. You see that? And what you'll find is that confident people have the ability of exposing the brokenness in others. And, and then they, as a result, begin to try to find ways to put you down to make themselves look better in the eyes of others. 
So Eliab, the oldest brother, was like, David, don't come here and try to show off. Mind you, the verse prior, we know that um, Samuel had just anointed David as the next king. So what we also do understand is this. The anointing on David perhaps might have motivated him to show up because of the fact that he was anointed. But David didn't downplay himself or try to cause himself to look small in the eyes of his brother or the eyes of those around him to make them feel better. Because David's passion wasn't the fact that, that Saul was promising his, his daughter or he was promising status in the kingdom. David's also desire was, yo, this guy is, is disgracing Israel and he is taunting the name of my God. And if I have to be the one to put my life on the line, I'll be the one. When you start talking like that around religious Christians, they get uncomfortable, number one. And number two, they'll say you're being conceited. So what's the opposite? What's the opposite? So they're saying humility. So if David was to shrink back at the opportunity, if David what didn't show up to the battle, then they would have said he was being humble? That's the false humility. And one of the things God had to literally work in me was, un, was an under, a new understanding and a new perspective of humility. And I want you guys to get this. True humility is understanding that you can do nothing without God. But you can do everything with God. See, true humility is not, I can't do it. No, true humility is, is, I can do it because he said I can do it. Anything God says you can be and you be it, you're not being, that's being humble. Anything else is being prideful because you are choosing to believe something contrary to what God says you can be. You are choosing to, to, to keep in your life something that God says you shouldn't have. So I realize being hum the humblest thing I can do is to be everything God says I can be. <laughs> and if that makes people uncomfortable, I'm not the one who got the pride issue. Because pride is you're trying to live life on your own terms. I'm humble because I'm trying to live life on God's terms. Hallelujah. When I lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover, I'm being humble. Because God told me to do it, and I want to be, be obedient. I want to be submitted to his will. I want to do what he says I can do. So that's me being humble. Being prideful is me refusing not to pray for the sick when he said I should. You see that? It's the character. Most people think humility, as Ryan said, is being, is being harmless. Being quiet when you should be speaking up. That's not being humble. 
Listen, you will not get your breakthrough. You will not get your healing until you start speaking up for what God says you can have. That's, and that's your humility talking. <laughs> we got to get rid of this false humility that's in the church. It's weak stuff. See, I learned when, he, you know, God gave us, you know, we talked about the armor, putting on the full armor of God. And we talk about the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. And we gird our loins of truth and we shot our feet with the gospel of peace. And I remember getting up at night and I used to pray or before I leave my house, say, Lord, I'm putting on the, the full armor. I'm putting on my helmet today. I'm putting on my, my armor of righteousness. I'm shot on my feet with the gospel of peace. And then, you know, the last thing he gives is that he gives us the sword of the Spirit. Right? And he says, and the sword of the Spirit is the Word. How many of you realize, why, did God, why would God want you to have a sword if he didn't want you to kill something? Why do you have a sword? If he doesn't want you to be violent. Right? You, you, you got a sword to kill something. <laughs> now, you got a sword in the spirit for a reason. If you don't like violence, if you don't like blood, you don't like Christianity. If you don't like blood, you know, I don't like all that blood. No. You read the Old Testament. Don't read the Old Testament and don't look at the cross. Blood everywhere. But Jesus said, but the kingdom suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. The kingdom suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. God is looking for some Davids in this hour who are not afraid to pick up Goliath's sword and is getting ready to kill. Because contrary to popular belief, David didn't kill Goliath with the slingshot and the stone. He killed Goliath with the sword. He knocked Goliath down with the stone and then ran and took up Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. David. The shepherd boy, David, the worshiper, the singer, the dancer, was the man after God's own heart, was a killer. So that's what we're talking about. Not just being the lamb, but also the lion in this season. God is looking for you to start slaying some things, killing some things in the spirit. You got to have a violence in your spirit because that's how you're going to win. Your prayers is going to knock Goliath down. But you going to take authority is going to kill Goliath so he can't come back up. And what I also love about this is that David didn't kill Goliath far away. He came up close. See, this, it's called the law of proximity. I can't fight. 
that this is what we want to do. We want to pray at home and pray in our secret place and pray in our prayer closet and pray in our churches. And then the real fight is going on out there and we're not showing up to the battle. Where policy is changing, where laws are being passed, where are the, where's the church? When lotteries are being passed regarding what homes are going to be offered up, where are we? We got to show up to the thing so we can actually win. See, and we got to take, and what David did was take ownership. He took responsibility. This wasn't even his fight because he wasn't in the army. And he chose to take ownership of this battle when everybody else chose to run and hide. So if you want authority, church, you got to learn how to take ownership. You got to take responsibility. And sometimes it might, the fight might not be yours. Ah. All right. So when I was thinking about this, because God wanted me to start giving you all a theology of winning. A theology of winning. The theology of win winning. The last verse I want to show you, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. The Bible says this. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. You serve the God who always causes you to triumph. Religion has taught you about a God who wants you to lose to teach you humility. <laughs> that if you get sick, then that will keep you humble. Or if you strip you of some things, that'll keep you humble. I believe there's another way to be humble. God doesn't, have to, God doesn't have to make you lose so that you can be humble. Sometimes you can win and that humbles you. And you know how that works in Christ? Because you win by grace. Ah, because when you win by grace, what is grace? Unearned, undeserved favor. So if God sets you up to win and you know you didn't deserve, you know you didn't really have the power to do it, you know you didn't have the money to win, and you win, that humbles you. Because I know I didn't deserve it. I didn't do it in my own strength. I didn't come up with this idea, God. You gave it to me. <laughs> Listen, that's why the Bible says he gives us the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so we can reign in life, not lose. I told y'all last week, no one's attracted to losers. No one is going to run to the church if we're not winning. In sports, the losing team, the, the tickets are the cheapest. It's the, the poorest attendant games. The jerseys are cheaper. Nobody wants to, wants to support losers. And the only ones that do support them are the, are the ones hoping they'll win. All right, Nick fans? 
You got hope that they're going to win. But even that, the hope is one day they'll win. You're not just cheering for them because they're losing. You're believing they'll win one day. But, but Paul says, now thanks be unto God. Not later thanks. Not when I get the breakthrough thanks, but now thanks. See, we got learned, I taught you how to have now faith, not later faith. But you got to also learn how to have now thanks, not later thanks. Y'all know how to thank God now for what you want. Thank God now for the healing. Thank God now for the house. Thank God now for that promotion. Come on, somebody give God a now thanks. Woo! Hallelujah! Who always causes us to triumph. Woo! Always, not in some ways, but always. <laughs> and that word triumph is so powerful because the word triumph, it actually means to, to, it actually means to, um, to be included in the victory of another person. Triumph. So it actually means uh, leading a victory procession or, or parade. So the Bible says we triumph in Christ because when Christ was raised from the dead, his victory became our victory. And so the Bible says now we, we have triumphed in him. So we are included in his victory. John 16, Jesus said, be encouraged because I have overcome the world. So there is not one thing, not one setback. There's not one obstacle. There's nothing in this world that Christ has not already given us the victory for. And so the Bible says we have been included in his victory and he has overcome everything this world can throw at us. So this is where now when we set our heart on him and believe that we are in him and we have received his grace to reign in life. God needs you to now let go of a theology of sin and he needs you to have a theology to win. Religion has been preaching to you about sin. When in grace, we're only supposed to be talking about how we're going to win. We're moving from talking about sinning to talking about winning. That's why when we understand our righteousness and we understand the grace message, we are now positioned to start winning in life reigning in life, triumphing in life. Come on, man. Do I have any winners in here? And if you keep your mind focused on sin, you're not going to win. Now, while I was studying, the Lord just dropped this memory back into my heart. And you guys know Mike Tyson, the greatest I believe the greatest heavyweight boxer that we've seen. And um, at the time of this fight, he was undefeated, never lost, never came close to losing. And then one day he got into a ring with a guy named Buster Douglas. And Buster Douglas <laughs> did something that the world didn't expect. Mike Tyson, first of all, his, his fights never lasted more than one or two rounds. He knocked, he had 37 matches at that time. 33 out of those fights, he won by knockout. 33. The odds, they had the biggest, I think it was like in sports history, one of the widest margins of odds to, that Buster Douglas was going to win. 
I think it was like 5,001. Like, it was no chance that Buster Douglas was going to win. In fact, Mike Tyson didn't train as hard as he, did, as he typically trained because he said, Buster Douglas is an amateur. There's no way he's going to beat me. <laughs> the night before, Bobby Brown shared how they were partying the night before instead of, after, instead of him preparing. He was... <laughs> right, of out of all people, you're going to... You're with Bobby Brown. And what you find is that Mike Tyson lost, not that he didn't have the ability to beat him. You know, there's a verse that says, pride comes before the fall. And that's what he did. And he lost because he began to become overly confident. He got cocky. And so... But I really want to not just talk about Mike Tyson. I want to talk about Buster Douglas. Because no one in their right mind wanted to fight Mike Tyson. And if they did, they just said, I'm going to do it because I know I'm going to get paid to be in a big fight. Not because I'm going to win. But Mike, they asked Buster Douglas, how did you win? How did you pull it off? And remember, he got knocked out in the eighth round. But he got back up. And they asked Buster Douglas, how did you win? He said, because of my mom. Buster Douglas's mom died 23 days prior to that. And his dad was also a boxer who never made it to that level. And his mom believed that he could win because she asked him, do you think you could win? Aren't you afraid? Is he really as bad as they say he is, talking about Mike Tyson. He said, yes, he is, but I believe I could beat him. That was what he told his mom. And his mom said, so go ahead and fight. And when she died and she didn't get, get a chance to see him fight, he, all he kept saying in his head was, I have to win for my mom. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about becoming the next heavyweight champion in the world. It was about him getting that win for his mom. And his mom's death gave him the motivation to actually beat the present-day Goliath in the ring. And I want you to just see yourself in this day. Don't feel like you can't come into the ring to fight giants that are bigger than you, circumstances that seem to be insurmountable. All you got to do is getting the ring because this fight that we're fighting Christ is called a good fight of faith. It is a good fight. You know what a good fight is? That means when the fight is rigged and the fight is fixed and the ref is on your side and the judges are on your side. It's a good fight. Come on, Carol. The judges are on your side. <laughs> it means it's a good fight because you can't lose. God always causes us to triumph in His name. Do I have any Buster Douglases in the room? People may not know your name now, but they're going to know your name after you take down... <laughs> People might be sleeping on you now, but they're going to... They're going to know you as God causes you to triumph in this season. 
Come on, on the count of three, I want you to give God a now thanks. Come on, a now thanks for the victory. A now thanks for the triumph. A now thanks for the testimonies, for the breakthroughs, for the miracle stories. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Raise it up, raise it up. Thank you, Lord, for the victory. Come on, thank Him for the victory. I just hear my spirit. Just begin to thank Him for the victory. It's already won. The fight is fixed. It's a good fight. Woo! You've only got a slingshot, and you only got a stone, but that's all you got, and that's all God needs. You only got $1,000 in your bank, but that's all you need. You only got a 600 credit score, but that's all you're going to need. Real quick. Real quick. I'm telling you, it's, I'm seeing it. God, I told, the t- I told everybody that was here earlier, the Lord said to me this week, tell the people, throw their nets on the other side. And it comes from the passage when Peter was fishing all night, toiling all night, and he could not catch any fish. He was frustrated. He was angry. He was tired. And, he, and Jesus comes up to the seashore and say, Peter, now throw your nets on the other side. Throw it all over. Do it all over again. And, and he just said, do it again. <laughs> he said, do it again. You did it and it didn't work before, but I want you to do it again. I want you to go back and apply for those positions that they denied you and do it all over again. I want you to go and apply for that house that you tried and it didn't work. Nobody called you back. You weren't approved and I want you to do it all over again. Throw your nets on the other side. This time is going to work because I, the Lord, says it's going to work. You're not doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in me. There is an anointing on your doing in this season. Not just hearing, but doing. I can do all things through Christ. They that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Not, you got to do something. Come on. Greater works than these shall you do i just see it like jesus is just putting you on his shoulder you know he's he's lifting you up and putting you on his shoulder he's taking you to a so you're standing on the shoulder of a champion you are standing on the shoulder it's his victory that we're living from come on lift up your hands right now receive that anointing receive that anointing Receive that anointing, that anointing to do, the anointing to do, to do the impossible, the anointing to do. Come on, my meat is, and is to do the will of the one who sent me. 
I'm going to do. I'm not going to let insecure people, religious, traditional minded people who don't want anymore, who lost their hunger, who lost their passion, who lost their zeal, who are dried and weary and irrelevant. I'm not going to let them talk me out of going after the promises of the living God. He says I can do so I'm going to do. Father, I thank you now for releasing a fresh anointing on us to do the impossible. To do the impossible. To do the impossible. I'm going to test out my strength. I'm going to test out my muscle. I'm going to test out this anointing. I'm going to do greater works than my mother. I'm going to do greater works than my father. I'm going to do greater works. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.